Events of the past 12 months have once again highlighted that Australia still has a long way to go when it comes to our relationship with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. 20 years on from the Reconciliation March of 2000, the path to reconciliation is still one that as a nation, we have a long way to travel. In that spirit of reconciliation, I would like to offer my respects to the traditional owners of the land on which we meet, both past, present and emerging, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. everyone and welcome to this episode of the UX Australia podcast. I'm joined today by Oliver from Mobile Experience. Welcome Oliver. Hi Steve, good to catch up. Yeah, it's lovely. We have not had a chance to chat in quite some time. Um, what are you up to in lockdown in Sydney these days? I, I, I was asked this question, how are we doing in lockdown the other day? And I think I've sort of acclimatised. We're in, we're in quite a, a lucky position that yeah, my team works relatively remotely, uh, at least, or used to work sort of some of the days of the week. So it's a bit of a, a more natural progression. Our office isn't an office. It's more of a clubhouse where we get together to collaborate, uh, obviously missing doing that in person. Yeah. Um, but we're lucky enough to have uh, quite a few clients where we've we've had that little bit of working together in the real world and has made that transition easier to, to obviously working remotely and, and working from home in lockdown. Um, mm. And then on the personal front, I suppose we, we get, we're lucky enough to get plenty of sunlight here and fresh air. So we're doing okay. Yeah, good. That idea of um, sort of how to start relationships in lockdown, um, mm-hmm. talking recently with people who've started new jobs during lockdown mm. and have had to be onboarded or onboard new team members themselves, um, you know, having never met in person without that ability to establish that. Um, what What is it, a slightly different relationship? How's that gone yeah. for you? Yeah, look, in terms of uh, staff, we've brought on two new staff members relatively recently, but again, in the in, in Sydney, we've had that opportunity to to be back in the office mm. sort of over that Christmas period. So they came on during that period. So we did have that. But absolutely from a client perspective, I think, A, in terms of us dealing with clients, uh, it's been okay. And again, we've been yeah. able to do most of that in person. But I think, mm. uh, I think the toughest would be if you were a graduate uh, or coming yes. new into the industry or new into the company and, and you're there to absorb you know the intelligence around you and learn new methods and and having that not, critique I, th- I think it's it's that bit that sort of unfortunately yeah. we're going to miss a lot of in lockdown yeah we um took the position last year of not having interns as a result yep. we would normally have had you know three or four interns spread throughout the year for you know three months or so each and we took the decision of not doing that um it's too hard remotely, as you're saying. Like they're not, yeah. they're not really learning in the way that you really want interns to learn. Um, and then this year, we actually brought on an intern, and about three weeks later, we went into like Sydney started this lockdown. So it yeah. it ended up not working for us anyway. Yeah, yeah, but I th- it'll be interesting to see and. And maybe Sydney and Australia less so um, than Melbourne, but but obviously around mm. the world, where 
where that might have an impact, right? Where the, the, those people haven't had that contact and that exposure and that interaction. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. Indeed. Now, you, uh, you've started a new role at the University of Sydney. You've I am put lucky your academic to be... hat on. What's, what's, what's going well, on there? Well, I, I, I was talking about this the other day to, to somebody in academia and I was describing how, you know, having been through this for the last 21 years or whatever, that we did have a bit of a bifurcation into practitioner academic in, you know, yes. the adjunct of, of UX Australia. Um, and I've always tried to straddle both of those. So, mm. you know, certainly attending mobile HCI globally uh, and and chairing some of those uh, streams and also Kai and yeah. ambient computing uh, and so on. I enjoy the academic side and, be, well, I, sh I should say I enjoy being exposed to the academic side and yes. seeing what's happening there from that pure research perspective, from that go along to Kai and just sit yourself in a session that you have no preconceptions about. I went into one where they were they were making bread with hot air and imbuing it with different scents and that, that was computer generated and, uh, you know, so... I, I love that, and yes. and I think there is so much opportunity. You know, while at Bifurcator, I think more so now than ever, we need to to bring that academic and and practitioner yeah. um, interaction together. I think mm. so. I think lots of opportunity there. So yeah, and we've uh, it's a it's a it's a fair critique, I think, of um, you know the community of practice, quite literally, uh, that UX is. Um, in a lot of cases, early on at least, and, you know, you talk about that sort of 20-year spread, uh, certainly early on and, and right through into the, the 2007, 8, 9 sort of period, a lot of the conferences were more heavily geared towards the academic side of things. Mm. In Australia, we've, we've had OzKai and we, we continue to mm -hmm. do so. Kai um, globally, uh, those sorts of conferences. Even the sort of UPA conference to a degree was more academic um yeah. up until yeah. maybe you know 2010 11 12 and then it became much more practitioner focused mm. but we we don't get access to that um the experimental side of academia either so you know there's the there's the research part but with research comes experimentation um yeah. and that experimentation without a commercial cost associated with it um, or a commercial goal associated with it is is really interesting, and, and I think you know certainly going to to conferences like Kai where you see that there are large commercial entities, whether that's a, a Google, a Yahoo, a Facebook, yeah. an Apple, yeah. who do invest in in academic research and have you know that capability in house mm. that they're developing and working with you know the likes of CMU or, or Stanford yep. or whoever um to to do that and i think that's a there's the potential for a lot of opportunity there yeah so you are like you yourself have been working in the mobile space um but i i, I want to call that a really really broad thing rather than a narrow you know uh thing but you've been working on um virtual reality and augmented reality for a long time you're going to be talking at ux australia which we're looking forward to about designing for augmented humans mm -hmm. tell me more what's an augmented <laughs> human 
So, so if we look at the evolution, I think, of, of technology and how humans have been able to extend that, their capability, we obviously go through, you know, all the old stuff, you know, the tools, the, the fire, et cetera, the wheel, all of that sort yep. of stuff. But if we focus on the more recent period, obviously we've had uh, computers uh, mm-hmm. that evolved. They got more as, as in literally the personal computer. Uh, and then we went mobile, right? And and mobile really changed how that capability can come along with us mm-hmm. and enhance uh, in the flow of us doing something. So yep. it augments what we know when we're doing it, which a traditional PC that might have been sitting on a desk or, or whatever uh, wasn't do. there, wasn't available. And obviously mm-hmm. the internet has, has further enhanced sure. And then, so, so mobile, as you mentioned, has been a passion of mine for, for 21 years. And... And then mobile imbued certain qualities uh, that even to this day, uh, you know, mobile is not a solved problem. I don't, I don't think there's too many apps out there that I think are, are perfect mobile apps, right? So we have, have things like context that while mobile sits in your context, mm-hmm. it, doesn't, it, it isn't necessarily aware of all of the aspects of your context or it, it retains that information, but maybe it's siloed on your device. Yep. Uh, and so that was really interesting to me, the the element of context and how mobile experiences and digital experiences can be enhanced by that context. And then mm-hmm. and then we sort of got a couple of, you know, sort of mid-2000s, we, we sort of came into that intelligent agent space, right, with the Siri yeah. and Google Assistants. Mm-hmm. And that was another element of augmentation of, you know, get the assistant to, to help me do something, to achieve something, whether that's set a reminder, tell me the weather, whatever it might be. Yep. And at the same time, very much the Internet of Things, you know, was really bedding down. We've got smart lights, smart homes. Uh, we've done, you know, projects for IoT devices, everything from smart yoga types uh, to in-car devices that, that help you uh, drive better, give you visual yep. feedback on how to drive better. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly a lot in the health space, uh, wearables for PTSD and and, and so on. And so what we've got is this, is this combination of technologies which have tended to happen quite independently or aspects of technologies, right, like mm-hmm. context, like intelligent agents, like uh, um, augmented reality as well. We did mm-hmm. a project with Salesforce on augmented reality. And, and spatial computing is how these things come together. And mm-hmm. to me that's fascinating, right, because each of these technologies, even mobile by itself, is, is complex enough. Yeah. Uh, but once you start putting these elements together and, and true multimodal design, how does that actually happen? And, and mm-hmm. what are the considerations we need to think about for designing these experiences, which are, are going to be embedded in the real world, not in a, not in a VR type experience where you're, you're, uh, you're immersed in that, but embedded in yeah. the real world. And how can they be done for more than a marketing gimmick uh, you know, that shows you your wine bottle come to life or, or whatever that might be. So, so that's the stuff that we're playing around with uh, in, a, in a speculative manner at the moment, but also um, with some little bits and pieces of practical projects. Mm. And, and that's what's fascinating me and sort of we're, we're trying to push the boundaries of at the moment. It sounds like there's a lot of different things that have to come together well in order for that to work. Yes, 100%. And, and this is the, the fascinating thing, right? It comes back to the, 
the degradation of air various elements of that so mm. what happens if you know one element of that drops out how does that change the experience mm. uh, and what's the appropriate level where it becomes valuable to somebody that it's uh, well, valuable enough to somebody that they they engage in this full time. Do we do we actually need glasses? Like, is that is that the big hurdle? And then, what are the the um, the barriers to those glasses in terms of size or weight? Or actually, I, I don't wear glasses normally, so why would I wear a pair of glasses? Is that worth it? And we've seen obviously things in the past like Google Glass and so on that, from a consumer perspective, have failed. From an industrial mm. or enterprise perspective, might. Uh, still be employed and, and still be news. But at the same time, from the consumer's perspective, we're seeing things like Snap and Snap Lens and, uh, and Studio and also Facebook being very sort of upfront about their plans around augmented reality and, and the enhancements mm. of into intelligent agents and so on. Around. Mm. There's a, like there, there are a, a few different um sort of levels at which to tackle a problem like that. You've got just the conceptual design level um, where you don't have to worry yet about the viability of any particular technology or the commercial realities of, of any particular technology where you can just focus on like, what, what does that experience look like? If I'm, if I'm in one of these environments, if I'm navigating one of these services, if I'm in that type of building or that type of precinct, what is that like for me? Um, the sort of stuff that you can articulate with, um, you know, mock-ups and comic strips and, you know, like that that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Are we are we beyond that? Are we at the point where we're actually, you know, taking one of those experiences and trying to build proofs of concept and, and that type of thing? Yeah, the, absolutely. There's a bunch of prototyping tools out there. But, but I think that is one of the key elements is what is that workflow? Uh, especially yeah. from a designer perspective, right? Like mm -hmm. if I want to explore this space and I'm not a technologist or I, I don't develop in that particular, you know, I'm, I'm not familiar with Unity or whatever, what what are the opportunities and how does it? How do I go from A to B of, of coming up with something on paper with a sketch mm -hmm. through to getting it into a digital asset and then to putting it into the real world? And those tool sets are getting better, but they're certainly not there from uh, the simplicity of a, uh, a sketch or a Figma perspective, yeah. right? There's there's, yeah. there's more steps in the process, um, yeah. but there's also more complexity because of the nature of, you know, are yeah. you adding it? To, uh, is it an overlay on a real world experience? In which case you go have to have a map of that real world, right? Through uh -huh. an AR cloud type experience, a digital twin, yeah. whatever that might be. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's, there's it, it's definitely not a solved problem. Do we have, I mean, can I take those sorts of tools into a brand new environment? Um, and like, let me explain that. So um, uh, Google have created, you know, 3D maps of the Queen Victoria building. Um, and I could use that map if I wanted to, to overlay some kind of experience that says, you know, through an augmented reality app or, or whatever type of um, thing that I sort of come up with, I can use that environment and that environmental information. Um, similarly, with a lot of the newer train stations, those those sort of 3D spatial environments are, are well mapped. Um, are we at the point where I can walk into an unmapped environment and be able to start making sense of that environment on the fly? 
No. No. The, the short answer. So you know we're seeing things from the the likes of Google and and uh, Apple just had some of it at the recent um, WWDC where mm-hmm. they are starting and and Niantic, uh, the makers of Pokemon Go, are probably the biggest yeah. Yeah, mappers yeah. of the world, right? They've got a whole yeah. teams of people out there who are, who are literally pointing their cameras around at the world and and getting yep. that. Um, so it's it's not there yet. Uh, it is a critical step. Like yeah, there, there are things like location anchors, where you know in certain cities around the world, you can put things in positions, or you have to have a specific app, right? So right. you know, it's back to that layers of experience, right? What's yeah. native to the operating system or native to the web? Then yeah. what do I need to have a particular app for? So you know, we, work, we were lucky enough to work with a good friend of ours, Charles Clapshaw, who's doing uh, augmented reality art. And okay. uh, we were doing some research down in Bondi in a cafe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that thing of, A, how does somebody even know that, that an augmented reality experience is there without a big sign pointing going, augmented, yes. get your augmented reality experience here. Then mm-hmm. what are the steps they actually have to do to, to bring that experience to life, right? Is that, oh, well, then I've got a QR code that I've got to put my phone out and then I've got to follow a link and then I've got to go and download that from the App Store and then, or, or go to a web browser and have a web AR mm. experience or things like that. So it's not there in a seamless way yet. And yeah, it's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, obviously there's, there's not much good that's come out of COVID, but this whole behaviour around pointing your phone at something and, and certainly when you're checking into a venue in New South Wales, um, we've yes. had for a long time where you yes. point your, your phone at something, something happens and you click through and there's an experience. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's not a bad set of training wheels for, for what the future is going to be. And, and whether it's pointing a phone or a pair of glasses or, or something else um, yeah. at an experience. Uh, yeah. But there's still that, that part of the benefit is that it's invisible in the general sense in the real world. But mm-hmm. then how, does it, how do you become aware of it? So that yeah. awareness and education um, piece is key to the experience. It, it it seems to me still with a lot of a lot of these things that we're toying with um, that the the phone as the thing that we sort of use to interact with it is the best that we have available, but by no means the right way to do it. Ah. Uh, I, I agree, um, but I also know, and again, you know, I'm very, very conscious of um, my own behaviour and that, that might, not, yeah. might not be seen as mainstream, um, uh, but in a similar way to, I think, uh, my experience with mobile was that I saw that glimmer there of how it could change things and mm-hmm. I see that with a more constellation of devices, so you know, everything out to the smart speaker where I, I can have a quick interaction via voice to a yep. watch where I can get my notifications. I don't have to keep pulling my phone out of the pocket every time. Yep. So, you know, and again, back to the, that that ambient computing, spatial computing aspect yep. of it's more embedded in the environment and yeah. across maybe multiple aspects of, of my body uh, which are interchangeable, right? So I've got my Ura yes. ring on at the moment, which is doing yes. my sensing, um, yep. rather than an Apple Watch, but I'm still monitoring my sleep or I'm still monitoring my activity. 
then I put my glasses on for a particular experience and then I pull my phone out for a different experience. Yeah. So, and, and again, it's that inherent complexity of multimodal design across various touch points, di digital touch points. Right? So mm. that's, that's going to be the fun bit. Yeah, I think the big opportunity has sort of been there for a while, I think. Like the and, and that opportunity has always sort of felt five years down the track, ten years down the track, and it's mm -hmm. been like that for maybe 20 years. Um, and we don't yet have, I don't think, the, the, the right pieces available in the right kind of ways, but there's, there's a clear sense that we're getting closer. There, there, there are definite signs, um, and I suppose our approach is to get in, well, it's, there's two aspects. There's the mainstream uh, element to it, which is, well, we as designers and, and people working in this field need to be ahead of mass consumerization, right? We need to be yep. thinking about these problems and, and so on. But there's also the, from the design side of making sure that we're exploring that the, the, the hardware and, and look, if we, if we think back to, you know, mobile, the, the first years of mobile were all about networks and handsets. It wasn't yes. about experiences, right? It was about no. bandwidth yeah. and all of those yep. sorts of things. And, and the same's happening with, with these things, uh, certainly IOT, um, mm. It's it's there's a lot more on the technology side than on the experience side. Probably less so with uh, intelligent agents because there's there's such a strong uh, user experience element to that. But yeah. but to me, we're still at the formation of this, and certainly from things like a design standards perspective, there's still a, such a diversity of devices. There's no consolidation. Right? I remember doing presentations on you know all the different handset types and the different uh, manufacturers, right, and the different mobile operating systems. We had Palm. We had um, obviously BlackBerry, we had Windows, uh, and then we had Android and, and iPhone. And obviously that's mm -hmm. that's very much consolidated now. And I think yes. the same thing will play out in, in that space. Yeah. But it's being there at the formation and thinking through uh, those elements that's the exciting bit to me. It's not once everything's been decided. It's, it's how can we influence or how can we yeah. understand to design best case and, you know, experiences that that will hopefully uh, feed back into the technology creation uh, or definition to, to, to make sure that they're supported. I love it. Oliver, thanks for talking with us today. We look forward to hearing more about um, this topic. Um, you, you're always, always uh, insightful when you get up on stage. So thanks very much for talking to us today. And we'll see you at UX Australia in a few short weeks. Always a pleasure, Steve. And, and yeah, well, we might be able to show something at their conference. With any luck. Thanks okay. for talking Take with us. Take care, mate.